You're listening to RUF at UT Podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Reading from tonight comes from Matthew 22, 34 through 39. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And we have been this semester uh, doing a little series, and we're continuing that tonight, uh, a little series called You Grow As You Shrink. I don't know why I pointed to you, but um, You Grow As You Shrink, (laughs) and um, which is essentially a a series about uh, the Bible's uh, word sanctification, which which is a big Bible word that just literally means how you change. Sanctification is, we've been saying, it's the lifelong process whereby God graciously changes you, transforms you into the person you were created to be. And tonight I want to talk about something that I think is especially confusing for people in general, Christians, people that aren't Christians, and that is the role that rules play when it comes to how you change. Because uh, if you think about it, if, you've, if you're remotely familiar with the Bible, the Bible talks. The Bible has a lot of rules. It's got commandments. It's got ten famous commandments. It's got it's got calls you to obedience, and it does not take a rocket scientist. <laughs> does not take a rocket scientist to know that in our kind of cultural moment, we are violently allergic to all things rules and restrictions and boundaries. I mean, if you think about it, um, a number of years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, the, the, just take, let me take you back to the movie Frozen. You remember this movie. Uh, Queen Elsa, you know, she, she runs out and she makes her ice castle and she kind of sings her, her you know, breakout solo. And literally, one of the lines in the song is, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold me back anymore. And she's... Thank you. Thank you. Wow, thank you. And that song became, you know, like the anthem of every seven-year-old child, especially, you know, the one in our house. And, And, like, the point of the song is clear if you want to be truly free, if you want to experience true life, you've got to let it go and get rid of all the rules. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. Let it go. And it's not just like our children's songs. It's like essentially every song and every movie in our culture right now. In fact, if you think about it, what is, you know, think about our national anthem. What is the climactic point of the whole thing where all the people in the crowd just go crazy? And the land of the free, right? It's the, it's, that's the moment 
when everybody goes crazy. Freedom, liberty is one of our culture's like highest values. In fact, the, 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 uh, the Supreme Court recently declared this, quote, the heart of liberty, the heart of freedom, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of the human life. I mean, that's it. Our modern understanding of freedom is that you have the right to decide and define reality for you. True freedom, true authenticity is, is not being constrained by any external authority or expectation. Freedom is the absence of restraints. And, and this is so woven through the fabric of our culture. Even J.C. Penney promotes this idea. J.C. Penney had an ad slogan that went like this. Be a rebel, make your own rules. J.C. Penney is behind this. Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. My point is, this is the big narrative of our kind of cultural moment. True freedom. If you want true freedom, true life, true authenticity, no rules, no restraints, no boundaries. Do what you want to do. And what I want to do tonight is gently challenge that narrative. And I want to do it by looking at two big ideas tonight. I want to look at, number one, the slavery of freedom. And then number two, the freedom of slavery. And if that is confusing, hopefully it'll make sense by the end. The slavery of freedom, the freedom of slavery. So let's look at this. Let's look at the first thing. What do I mean by the slavery of freedom? What I mean is our modern understanding of freedom is actually a form of slavery. It, leads, it, does not, it does not give us what we want. It doesn't free us and liberate us into experiencing true life and true freedom. It actually leads to our misery. And I want to show you this really quickly by, by pointing out three reasons why the modern understanding of freedom fails. And by the way, I'm getting a lot of help from this from uh, Rankin Wilborn, my man Rankin. So here's, uh, here's number one. Here's the, one, the first reason why the modern view of freedom fails. It, it fails relationally. It fails you relationally. It's fascinating. Uh, there's, so much, there's so much secular research right now being done about happiness. Everybody's researching uh, how can you be happy. There's podcasts, there's articles, there's books. There's, there's, everybody's talking about what is the key to human happiness. And one thing that all of this research is agreeing upon, Christian, non-Christian, secular, these are, these are, this is social, this is non-religious social science, and they're all coming to this one conclusion. The key to human flourishing is healthy relationships. If you want to be happy in this life, you have to have healthy relationships. Money won't do it. Success won't do it. You have to have healthy relationships. And here's the thing. If you understand freedom as doing whatever you want and not restraining yourself without any reference point for anybody else, that is a recipe for destroying relationships. That's a recipe for sabotaging your own happiness. And essentially, the modern view of freedom is, is, is suicide. It's sabotaging your only shot at happiness in this life. And, and let me give you a practical example of this. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show The Office, but in, in season six, uh, Michael, the uh, manager starts having an affair with a woman who is married. 
And everyone in the office is confronting him about this. They're challenging him. This is wrong. You are breaking a rule. This is not okay. And he's, and he's, and he's kind of dismissing it. He's defensive. And, and he's, he's justifying it. And, and as the show progresses, he gets so sick of everybody on his case about doing what he wants to do. He just embraces this lifestyle and says, I am going to just give myself over to absolute selfishness and apathy of what everybody else thinks. And here's what happens. He says... I am what I am, and I want what I want, and right now, I want a piece of cake. And from now on, whenever I'm hungry, I'm going to eat whatever I'm hungry for. And Kevin, you know, like the big guy in the back, he goes, that's a dangerous game, friendo. (laughs) And he walks into the break room, and Kelly and Ryan are kind of sitting there talking, and he pulls out this birthday cake, and and, uh, Kelly goes, that's Meredith's cake. It's her birthday. And he, and he says, I don't care. I have an appetite for life. And he reaches in with his hands, and he's just crushing the cake with his, with his hands. And Ryan, who's sitting there with Kelly, he sees this, and he kind of has this, like, he's impressed. And he has this moment of, like, yeah, that's amazing. And it kind of cuts to the little monologue. And the monologue of Ryan looks at the camera, and he goes, he just takes what he wants. And then it cuts back to the scene, to the office, and Ryan walks his way through the office to the, to the receptionist, to Aaron, and he goes up to Aaron, here's what he says. He says, you know what? I think you're attractive, and I want to sleep with you. And she has this horrified look, and she goes, is this a joke? And Ryan kind of realizes, oh, abort, and he goes, yep, and kind of walks away. And as he goes back into the break room, he tells Michael, he says, it's hard to live that way, man. You've got to really not care what people think about you. I don't know how you do it, Michael. I can't be that cold. <laughs> My point is, even Ryan knows this way of living is awful. To just say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm not going to have any reference point. I'm not going to limit my freedom in regard to anybody else. Even Ryan knows that is a recipe for misery and destruction. And in fact, haven't we seen this like played out in the news pretty dramatically over the past year or so? All the sexual harassment, all the sexual misconduct, all the sexual abuse stuff is, was men in power doing what they wanted to do without reference to anybody else. These were guys just living out this idea. I want to do whatever I want to do, and I don't really care what anybody... No, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm going to let it go and do what I want, and it just created this wake of pain and devastation. My point is, if you are going to love anybody, it necessarily involves limiting your freedoms. That's what love is, is I am, I'm going to choose to limit my interest to put the one that I love, their interest above mine. If, if you are not willing to restrict your freedom for the sake of the person that you love, you don't have a loving relationship and you have no shot at happiness. The modern view of freedom fails relationally. Here's the second reason why it fails. It fails experientially. It fails experientially, meaning uh, none of us want to constrain ourselves. We want to keep all of our options open. We, we don't want, we, this is why half of us are perfectionists and we have, we're all, we have FOMO problems. We don't want to choose something because we want to keep all of our options open. But having all of our options open actually leads to more misery, not to happiness. There's a, there's a fascinating TED Talk out there on the interwebs by this guy named Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice. It's well worth 20 minutes of your life. 
But he makes the point. He's, he's done all this research. He says the more options you have, the more dissatisfied in life you actually are. And he told this story of when he went to go buy a pair of jeans at the store. And he said there, there were so many options. And here's what he says. He says, this is not a Christian, by the way. He says, uh, there's, it was a button fly or zipper fly, relaxed, easy, or slim fit, stonewashed, acid wash. And he goes on and on. And he says, I, I was in the store for an hour and a half. And I walked out with the best fitting jeans I've ever purchased, and I felt worse. And here's why he said he felt worse. He said, with so many choices, there's always the possibility I could have chosen better. The more choices you have, it it seems like if I'm supposed to choose, when I make my decision and choose that thing, that's supposed to be really awesome, and it's never really that awesome because you're always wondering, maybe I should have chosen that thing. Take the same idea and translate it into like dating and relationships. I can't, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with y'all where y'all have said, I would be so for arranged marriages because the amount of choice and the option, what if I get with this person and the wrong person, what if the right person's on this side of the room? And it's just like, would someone just choose for me? You're even experiencing it relationally. So many options. It's crushing uh, Chuck Klosterman is a journalist author, and uh, he, he, he wrote this book a number of years ago, and he kind of speaks to this issue. I'm going to read you a little excerpt. He says this, in the year 2002, I interviewed Aerosmith's Steven Tyler about drugs and groupies, and he said something along the lines of, quote, having sex with the same woman a thousand times is way more interesting than having a thousand one-night stands with a thousand different women because those one-night stands are all the same, end quote. And he goes on and he says, this is the kind of platitude rock stars say all the time. Every aging rock god eventually comes to this same conclusion. In fact, anyone who decides to get married is unknowingly agreeing with Steven Tyler At some point, most people decide that sleeping with the same person improves the quality of their life even though it eliminates romantic choice. We all unconsciously understand this. However, nobody consciously believes that this is true until after the fact. And then here's the last thing. He says, if you ask any single man if he would prefer to A, have sex with a thousand women one time each, or B, have sex with one woman a thousand times, he will always take option A, even though he knows this decision is virtually guaranteed to make him feel awkward and alone. So you see what he's saying? He's saying if you give in to that natural impulse, keep all your options open. I don't want to restrict restrict myself to one person. I want to be with a thousand different kinds of people. He says, Do that, and that is the guarantee of you feeling awkward and alone in your own misery. That kind of freedom fails experientially. Fails relationally, it fails experientially. And here's the last thing, I'll be quick on this. It fails logically. Meaning, if you think about it, it doesn't make sense. The idea that true freedom is the absence of all restraints, just do whatever you want. The problem with that, and I've tried to show you this throughout the semester, is that we all have competing contradictory wants. I personally want to sit on a couch and watch Netflix all day. 
and I want to keep my job. I'm going to have to limit one of these desires. And my point is, everybody is self-consciously always limiting their own desires because we're giving up some freedoms to make room for deeper and better freedoms. It fails logically. So here's the thing. Modern freedom says there is a true freedom is the, is the is no restraints the absence of all rules and restrictions, and I'm trying to show you there's some problems with that. But here's is we actually need some restrictions. We need some rules. In fact, the very last uh, if you go back to that TED talk, the paradox of choice. His big conclusion, his grand finale, is that he flashes a picture of a fish bowl with a fish goldfish swimming in it. And he says, if you were to take a hammer and smash the fishbowl, remove all restraints, all limitations, you don't have freedom, you have death and misery. His point is human beings need limitations and rules and restrictions in order to truly thrive and to truly flourish. And the million-dollar question is, where do those rules come from? What are those rules that actually lead to human beings flourishing? And that's what I want to look at secondly. That's the first thing. The slavery of freedom. Our modern understanding of freedom actually leads to slavery. But there's another type of slavery that actually leads to our freedom. And my thesis is this. You will never be truly free. (laughs) You will never be truly free until you enslave yourself to the one who made you. Half the room has no idea what just happened. That's okay. You will never be truly free until you enslave yourself to the one that made you. Think about this. Let's think about your car for a second. Let's say that you look through the, the uh, owner's manual of your car. You've read that thing before, right? This is, this is the blueprint for what will actually make this car flourish. And let's say you get to the part in, the, in the, the owner's manual where it says, only put gasoline in the gas tank. And let's say you read that and you're like, only gasoline? That is so restrictive. That is, that is oppressive. Who are they to tell me what I can do and can't do with what belongs to me? I don't care if there's... I, I can put whatever I want in it. I want to put in pancake syrup. And you are free to do that. The only problem is if you do that, you will destroy the car. My point is, just like the fish, just like the designer of the car, you have to limit yourself to the design of that thing in order for that thing to truly flourish and to truly thrive. Human beings, if if human beings are going to be truly free and truly thrive, they have to restrict themselves to be and do what they were designed to be and do. Which raises the question: What were human beings designed to be and do? And the Bible gives you this answer: Human beings were designed to be loved and to love. That's why you're breathing right now. For you to be loved and to love, and you will only be free to the extent that you are learning to love. And that brings us to Matthew 22. I didn't forget about the Bible. Let's look at Matthew 22 real quick. Matthew 22 is this story. In verse 35, we hear about this (coughs) lawyer 
And when, 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 you, when, you, when the Bible says lawyer, it's not talking about a civil lawyer like in a, in a courtroom. This is a picture like a seminary professor. This is like a Bible scholar. And he steps up to Jesus and it says he, tries, he asks him a question to try to trap him, to try to trick him. He wants to trick Jesus into being exposed as a fraud. And so he goes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, there's like a million rules in the Bible. Which one's the greatest? Because he's thinking if Jesus is going to pick one command out of all of them, which all of them are equally important, if he's going to elevate one over all the others, then he's, he's, you know, you can't take him seriously. And Jesus looks at him and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he says, the greatest command is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. And he says, there's a second one, and it's equally as important. It's just like it. And he quotes Leviticus 19, and he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then look at verse 40. Verse 40 is fascinating. He says in verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When he says law and the prophets, he's talking about like the whole God's blueprint for how you were designed to flourish. And when he says these two, all of it depends on those two commandments. The word depend is the word dangle or hang upon. So if you picture like a nail in the wall and you picture like a picture frame on that nail, Jesus is saying the whole extent of God's law summarized and hangs on those two things. That one idea, which is love. The whole thing is about love. Loving God, loving neighbors. Here's how 1 John 5, 3 puts it. I included this in your handout. It says, His commandments are not burdensome. When you think about commandments, you think restrictions, boundaries. Oh, I can't breathe, suffocate. He says, no, they're not burdensome. They were designed for you to thrive, for you to flourish, for you to be and do what you were created to be and do. In fact, look at the very next one. James 2, 12 described God's law as the law of liberty. It's a law that leads to liberty, to your freedom. Here's my point. You will become more and more what you were designed to be when you enslave yourself, commit yourself to obeying God as your king and submitting to his law over your life. That is what leads to your freedom. Some of you know um, I've been reading through The Lord of the Rings right now. I feel like I talk about it in one-on-one contexts all the time. You may not know this up here, but I'm reading through it right now. And uh, I came to this part in the, in the in the books that were that was really fascinating for me. You you remember Gollum? You've seen the, you, Gollum. You've seen the the movies, right? He's the twisted, tormented, pitiful little character who's obsessed with the ring, his precious, and he's you know he's so he's just kind of a mess. He's always hissing and talking to himself, and he's just he he's a sad character. But there's this one chapter when he um, when Frodo captures him with a rope, and he makes Gollum pledge to be faithful to Frodo to lead him along on his journey to where he's going to go. And here's what happens. I'm gonna, again, last reading for you tonight. It says this. Gollum says, we promises. Yes, I promise. I'm not going to do the voice. Um, <laughs> I will serve the master of the precious. Good master. Good Smeagol. Suddenly he began to weep and bite at his ankle again. Take the rope off, Sam said Frodo. (laughs) Reluctantly, Sam obeyed. 
At once, Gollum got up and began prancing about like a whipped cur whose master had patted it. And here's what's fascinating to me. From that moment, a change, which lasted for some time, came over him. He spoke with less hissing and whining, and he spoke to his companions direct, not to his precious self. He was friendly and indeed pitifully anxious to please. Hey there. What just happened when Gollum... It's every week with this thing. This is not even our fault. This is UT's fault. When Gollum bound himself to a good and kind master, he actually became more whole. He became more himself, less hissing, less whining. He started to speak more directly. He became more full. And that's the image that I want you to have as well. When you bind yourself, enslave yourself to your creator, you actually discover that that's what you were made for. You become more whole, more free, Because his commands are not burdensome. He commands you to be loved and to love. And if you live that way, if you actually live freely the way that you were designed to be, this would change everything. This would change how you relate to your friends. This would change how you relate to sex. This would change how you relate to university. This would change how you relate to your classes. This would change everything. You would stop looking to the world to consume things from it, and you would move out into the world to give yourself for it. That's what you were designed for. Now, let me stop here because I I know I've thrown a lot at you tonight. Let me just do a quick review and a final question. Here's what we've done. I've tried to show you that the modern view of freedom, which is the absence of all restraints, fails. It fails logically, it fails experientially, it fails relationally. True freedom is not the absence of constraints, it's the presence of the right constraints the blueprint of your creator, and you will experience true freedom when you give up all your freedoms and bind yourself to him. And so here's the last question. Why in the world would you ever want to do that? Why would you want to give up your freedom? And you're in college, you can do whatever you want. No parents, no accountability, no oversight. You can do whatever you want. Why would you want to give that up and literally enslave yourself to God. And here's how I want to try to answer that question as we finish. Did you know that crucifixion was a a type of execution that was reserved for enemies of the state of Rome and for slaves? Which means when Jesus died on the cross, he, he literally died a slave's death. He was literally actually bound and nailed down to a cross so that you and I could be free. And my point is, when you see the cross, that is what will convince you that God is actually for you. He was willing to take your punishment on himself because he didn't want you to experience it. That screams at you, God is for you. He's not trying to screw you. He's not trying to make your life miserable. We often think God is just up there saying, obey these arbitrary rules and don't have any fun and don't screw up. But the cross is literally screaming at you, 
He loves you and he is committed to you thriving in this life. So do you, if you struggle with trusting God, if, you, if you're somewhat suspicious that if you give your life to him, that you're somehow going to have a miserable, less exciting, less fun life, then you need to ponder the cross deeply and over and over and over because the cross is what is going to convince you and compel you that he actually loves you and that he's actually for you. Ponder the cross until your heart is literally, literally saying, I am willing to give my life and everything to him. I'm willing to give up and forsake all other freedoms because following him is what I was designed for. Jesus gave up his freedom and he bound himself to you in love. And the invitation for you tonight is to give up your freedom and bind yourself to him in love. And you might just discover that that is when you're actually the most free. And that that's actually what you were designed for. But that's an invitation for you tonight. Let me pray. I pray, Father, that you would change the way that we think about freedom and actually lead us into liberty. Would you liberate us, emancipate us from from the slavery that we willingly put on ourselves, the slavery of thinking we really can just kind of do whatever we want to do. And we know experientially how hollow and miserable that is. Would you convince us afresh that actually giving ourselves to you is better. It's scary. We don't really even know how to do that. But Father, I pray that you would help us. Give us much grace and convince us once again of your love for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.